0: Go ahead and do that. If you don't have one with you, you can use a pew Bible and it's on page 222. 222. One. Ruth chapter One. All right. We're going to always try to start at 10 o'clock sharp, okay? So. That's that's what I say on Tuesday morning before we get started. I say, "All all you old guys, go to the bathroom right now. I wasn't talking about you. You didn't record that, did you? All right, let's have a prayer as we start. Father, thank you now that we have an opportunity to study your word together again. We ask that you'd meet with us, as always, be our teacher, Uh, show us wonderful things in your word today, in Christ's name, amen. All right, first thing, we uh, we have some new connection coordinators, and that would be Dave and Jan Miller right there, and Diane Belton right there, so... Uh, the idea is, if you have an idea for something to get together outside of class, and there are hundreds of different things you can do, remember back in the summer I had a list, I've still got that, I didn't bring any with me, but there's a list of, y'all have, y'all have seen those lists, but if you have an idea of something you want to do, you get in touch with them and they'll help you, they won't do it for you, but they'll help you coordinate it. And the, Yes ma'am, you have something? Right. All right, so they're already going to plan some things. In other words, talk to us. Talk. <laughs> I was sad to see that the, the baseball team is leaving Pearl, is that right? Yeah. Well, heck, that was a thing right there that we could have done. Well, I think we might to do that this year cause they're not leaving. Oh, they're going to be there this season. Yeah, this there season, you go. Yeah. Baseball games. Yes. All right. The, the, the next thing coming up is we have lunch again next Sunday, fourth Sunday of the month. We will not have one in March because of some conflicts with the lodge, but we'll have one again in April. So I'm sorry I fussed at you a little bit with my email, but we really need you to fill out that thing because if you don't, the food comes out of proportion, which is exactly the point of that thing, all right? Just look on there. All right, nobody's bringing a salad. I'll bring a salad. Or look on there. There's too much salad. Okay, I won't bring a salad. That's easy. It, just, it literally takes 30 seconds to look at it. All right, and I'll send the link out again uh, this week. So I'll have our lunch next Sunday, the 25th. All right, what is the book of Ruth about? Tell me, what's it about? Oh, Ruth, okay. Actually, the God, that's right. The book could have been named Naomi, actually. But it's it's Ruth. What's it about? What? Jesus and the church. Okay. It's a love story. What is it about? A kinsman redeemer. What is that? Boaz. Okay, these are all true. Main characters really are two women. So I've seen Ruth used as a women's Bible study. Not going to do that. Not just that. What else is it about? Somebody said it's a love story. Did you say that? It is a love story. Loyalty. loyalty. That's right. You're getting close. You're getting warm. Friendship. Friendship. It is a love story. Who's who? Are the two main persons in the love story in that book? Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi not Ruth and Boaz. That's kind of a side issue. That's not what the story's about, as you'll beautifully see towards the end. So I'm going to say the the book is about love. Now, watch this, because I'm going to let you look at that word for about five seconds, and then I'm going to erase it. And I'm going to put another word up here. Hesed. You could hock up a Louis and call it Chesed, but it's it's Chesed, which is about as far away from anything having to do with love, romantical feelings, as as anything could be. And that word is going to show up right here in the first chapter. All right. So this is going to be about love, but it's going to be more. If I could, it's closer to. Uh, Loving people you don't like. How's that? Now it's a little more interesting. It's a little harder. Loving people you don't like. Um, Now that may not sound all that interesting or important, so what I want to do next is, and we're, we're kind of introducing the book here, I want to give you three quick New Testament references to begin to establish the importance of what we're going to be talking about to the Christian life. Right, You don't have to turn these up. Just listen. Uh, John 13 is where Jesus says this. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's the great apologetic in the church is love. Right? And he says, As I've loved you. So now the the bar is raised pretty high. All right. Jesus, on another, an earlier occasion, takes it up a few more notches when we read this at the end, of the, ser- near, no, the end of chapter 5 in Matthew. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "'You've heard that it was said, "'You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. "'But I say to you, love your enemies "'and pray for those who persecute you "'so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven.'" For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now that's what we tend to do. We like people that like us. We love people that love us. That's the easy thing to do. So that's what we tend to do, right? And then Paul raises the stakes really high when he famously said, In 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, have all faith, move mountains, give away everything I have, deliver up my body to be burned, become a martyr, but don't have love, then it's all for nothing. So, what, is that, what does that kind of love look like? What does it look like? Give me a story. Give me an illustration of it. And that's one of the things the little book of Ruth is. And that's kind of the angle we're going to take on it. It's a true story illustrating Hesed love, Hesed. And I'm going to show you the word is going to occur right here in the first chapter. A true story illustrating this Hesed love without which you're not a believer. Now, I hope that's blunt enough to get all of our attentions. Without which you're not a believer. Without which your Christianity is just talk. All right. Now, let me further establish the relevance of the book by looking at how it starts. Now look at the very beginning. Verse 1, <clears throat> chapter 1. And we're not going to be able to go too slowly through the book because we've only got 13 Sundays. That's all we have. 13 Sundays. Look at the very beginning. Now, it doesn't say now. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, stop right there. In the days when the judges ruled. Now, what does that tell you about the setting of our story? What about the days? What were those days about? What were they like? The days when the judges ruled. Okay, run your eyes back to the very last sentence of the book before Ruth. In my Bible, you have to turn the page. Judges 21, 25, the last sentence says, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king, so everybody did what was right. Now, somebody modernized that. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Somebody rephrase that in some modern terminology. You do you. All right, let's hear some more. When everybody followed his heart. That's exactly right. The one I thought of, everyone acted on their feelings. live your own truth everyone did what her whatever her feelings told her she needed to do to be happy now tell me are we are we living in those days exactly and as we will see that is exactly the opposite of how hesed love works exactly the opposite it's nothing like that all right now let's read the first paragraph which is terrible. It is a bleak picture of a descent into suffering. It's like a slow train wreck. Verses 1 to 5. Follow along. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and stayed there, remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpa. the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now it's interesting that a story about love would, would start like that. So the question you need to be asking, let me, let me throw this out. Once again, I say this all the time, try to imagine you don't already know the story. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know where it's leading. So just pretend you don't know what's going on here. So the first thing you would need to be asking, put yourself in Ruth's shoes, who is a believer, what could ever come out of this? What good could ever come out of this? Now let me, let me highlight some of the irony that's going on here. Just some of the names. Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? What's the word mean? Anybody heard that before? You know what it is? It means house of bread. And yet there's no bread. There's a famine. Elimelech. El means God. Melech is king. That name means, my God is king. Where is he now? That's a a question that you need to push on. Where is God right now in this first paragraph? And then Naomi, she's going to tell you later on that name means pleasant. But this is not pleasant, right? This, This is unpleasant to put it very mildly. Now, let me ask another question as the story gets started. Does the story start, does it actually start? Now the, the text doesn't tell you one way or another, you just have to kind of guess. Does the story actually start with sin and rebellion on the part of Elimelech and Naomi? Because they abandon the promised land, they abandon God's people, and go to live with idol-worshiping Moabites. Now You might say, well, heck, people got to eat. What's wrong with that? When you hear Moab, what do you think of? Moab. What? Yeah, Moab, Moab come, goes all the way back to Lot, right? The incest between Lot and one of his daughters. That's the origin of Moab. Moab has a nasty history. They were nasty uh, villains and enemies back when the people were coming out of Egypt, remember? Remember? So they're not good people. They worship Chemosh. It's a fertility cult. It doesn't sound like a lot of other people went with Elimelech and Ruth. If anybody. So what do you think? Does the story start off on the wrong foot? Just with that? Again, the text doesn't say. We're just speculating here. But think about this, if these people knew God's law just a little bit, what did they know about famines? Where do famines come from? If you read through Leviticus, you read through Deuteronomy, where do you where do you hear about famines? God sends famines, and what does he what does he want to come out of that famine? What's he hope to the result will be? Would be, would be what? Repentance. Famine comes to call His people to repentance. Now, if we're, we're somewhere in the book, of, in the time of the judges, be, time would be ripe for that, right? Uh, to call His people to repentance. And look at verse 6. Verse 6 implies that might, that might have actually happened. Uh, verse 6, She had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So, maybe there's been a famine and there's been repentance. The people stayed and they repented. But Elimelech and Naomi... And their two sons, they get scared, and they jump ship, and they're gone. And they go to live to Moab. And the way you get to Moab, you near know where Bethlehem is, right where? Bethlehem is to the left of the top of the Dead Sea. Uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem's right next. So you go up a little to the top of the Dead Sea, cross the Jordan to the east, and go south 50 or 60 miles. That's how you got to Moab. So it was a pretty good trip. They just up and left. Um, The text, again, I'm belaboring this. The text doesn't say one way or the other. But if that is the case, that this little family rebelled by running away from God's land and God's people when they should have stayed and been involved in the repentance and the renewal, it makes the story all the more compelling and beautiful. Because it illustrates what we just talked about back in the fall, Romans 8, 28. Right? God uses everything, even our sin, even our bad choices, to accomplish what He knows is going to be His good purpose. And there's a really good one coming here, but you don't know what it is yet because you're pre- pretending you don't know the story. Right? Now, let's, let's itemize all that happened to this dear lady, dear lady. What happens to her? Let's list it all. Go ahead. There's only like five things, but they're all terrible. Husband dies. Before that, they marry pagan women. Then what? The pagan women are, they stayed there 10 years. The pagan women are barren. There's no grandchildren, no grandsons, no sons, no men. Sons die. Now, I'm not going to go into this in detail, but in that culture at that time, we're talking about 1100 B.C. That's where we are, in the, in the ancient Near East. Very different from now. Okay? No male protector, which women in that culture had to have, or they were, they were nobody. Too old to remarry. Now let's let's uh, so we can get this going in our in our minds. Let's guess our ages here. These two young women, let's say they're in their mid to late twenties, and let's say Naomi is in her mid fifties. So in that culture at that time, you know they don't it didn't live as long as we do. Old lady, not going to remarry. What is all that equal? Put all that together, and what have you got? My life is over I'm done, I'm finished uh, this is Paul Miller's book A Loving Life, you don't have to get it but I'm gonna, roughly going to follow this Okay, so let me go ahead and tell you that I'm going to be Paul Miller a bunch of times um, he summarizes the, uh, all that's happened here listen, Naomi's losses would be staggering for any culture But in the ancient Near East, for a mother to lose not only her husband but also her sons was the epitome of suffering. Naomi has lost her life. She has entered into a living death. Living outside of Israel, the promised land, already a partial death. Now with the death of her husband and two sons, Naomi's life is functionally over. It no longer has meaning or purpose. If you have experienced deep, sustained suffering then you know Naomi's frame of mind. Death would be a relief. You might not kill yourself, but if your life ended, you wouldn't care. So that's where she is. Now, next question. We've already asked this question, but we've got to... Now I'm going to begin to kind of groove into the way that we're going to approach this book. What good could come out of this? Where is God? What's He doing? All right, now let me give you something. As Randy says, we got to slow down, put on your thinking cap, you got to think hard. By the way, speaking of what Randy said, I asked several people if I could go to Drew's class because I feel 25. He said, go where your heart feels. Go where you identify. No, thank you all for being here. <laughs> Miller, in his book, listen to this. Now listen carefully, and I want you to think hard about this. The title of chapter 1 is Suffering the Crucible for Love. And then he says this. Suffering is the crucible for love. We don't learn how to love anywhere else. What's he saying? Now, we're not talking about falling in love. We're not talking about romance, falling in love and getting married. That's easy. That's easy. You fall into that, it's as easy as falling into a hole. We're not talking about that. We don't learn how to love anywhere else. Don't misunderstand. Suffering doesn't create love, but it is a hothouse where love can emerge. And then he asks, why is that? And I'm asking you that. Why is that? What is the connection there? Think hard. Suffering is like a hothouse where this kind of love can grow. And we're going to stop and define this very thoroughly in just a minute. What's the connection? I can speak for go ahead. I know I've been through a situation where I really had to struggle, and I found myself turning more to my Bible and to God, looking at how He loved people, even when we don't deserve to be loved. So I just kept trying to tell myself, He gave me, I can forgive this person. He loves me, I can go into it. Yes? Suffering turns us toward God. All right, keep going. What else does suffering do? Mhm. Sure. Mhm. Think about think about the people around you, though. Think think about you mentioned self self examination. What does suffering? Some of y'all know this. You're just afraid to say it. What can suffering begin to do to your, yourself? What does? And then what do you need to do? You need to. You need to turn to other people, maybe like you never have before, right? Yes. Yes. All right, let me let Paul Miller answer. The great barrier to love is ego, the life of the self. Right? Is that right? In long-term suffering, if you don't give in to self-pity, which Naomi hasn't, slowly, almost imperceptibly, self starts to die. This death of self offers Ideal growing conditions for love. Does that make sense? All right, with that in mind, what we see emerging out of this first paragraph, and out of this, this, uh, this tragedy, this suffering, is three women, three widows, two younger and one older, they come out of this, three women who love one another deeply. How in the world did that happen? Well, part of the answer to that is because they've been suffering together. They're three widows. Naomi has stood by three gravesides just in a a few years. Now, think about how unusual this is that these... We're talking about mother in law Okay so we have mother-in-law jokes mother-in-law daughter-in-law is that is that known for being some of the warmest love relationships mother-in-law daughter-in-law no not normally you've also got two different races here Jewish and Moabite so it's do you see what I'm saying it's strange that this What emerges out of this tragedy? All right. Now, I'm watching my time close. Let's read from 6 to verse 9. and That's as far as we'll go today. Now, listen carefully. I want you to listen because Naomi is doing something here that you cannot believe. You cannot believe what she's doing. And you've got to notice what it is. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, pause right there. Naomi says, all right, I'm going home. I'm going back. I've heard there's food. I'm going home. And she packs up and heads for the door, and all of a sudden she notices these two girls are packing up to go with her. Why would they do that? Verse 8. But Naomi said to her two two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Now guess what? There's our word. That's it. That's the word you just heard right there. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Do you see what that woman is doing right there? You got to see it. It's unbelievable. Well, first of all, here comes our word. Verse 8, see verse 8, may the Lord deal kindly. That's hesed. Hesed is translated there, deal kindly. So she says, may the Lord do hesed love with you. May he love you with this kind of hesed love, as you've loved me. See what she says there in verse 8? May he show you hesed as you've shown me hesed. All right. What does the word mean? Let's pause for just a second. Somebody said, well, let's define it. What's the word mean? Earlier, somebody said loyalty. We've already scratched out love. We can't use that. That's not a good, that's not a good English equivalent. Throw it out. Because that English word has become so helplessly, hopelessly destroyed and watered down, it's useless. We're not going to use it. We're going to talk about Hesed, Loyalty. What else? Unselfish. Unselfish. You know what? We could do this for an hour because uh, here's an interesting book, Michael Card, recording. Now, those kids, they never heard of Michael Card. Most of y'all have heard of him. He's been around since the 80s. But he's also an author and something of a Bible scholar. He wrote a whole book on Hesed, and the title of it is inexpressible, because the word is so rich you can't really pin anything, any definition down to it. So here's some interesting facts: in the ESV, Hesed um, is in it's in the ESV Old Testament 246 times. 246. Most of those in the ESV, most of those times, the great majority of them, it's translated as steadfast love. Steadfast love. You know how many different words are used in the ESV for Hesed? Thirteen different words. That's how rich. You know how many times it's translated love in the ESV Old Testament? Only twice. Uh, King James, which some of you grew up with. 14 different words in English to translate Hesed. The one that's most common, you know what it is? Mercy. Mercy. Uh, The NLT, which a lot of us like to read, translates Hesed with 12 different words. The most common one is unfailing love. Um, And in, in all of those, Translations, there's not even a hint of anything about feelings. Nothing. Zero. That has nothing to do with this. All right. Back to what Naomi does here. What does she do here? What's she doing? She prays for them. She gives them a blessing. But look at it. Think about it. What is she doing here? She's thinking about them. Listen. These two girls are all she's got left in the world. Do you see that? Do you notice that? And yet, what is she trying to do? Get rid of them. So what is she doing? She's doing this. She's doing this right here. She pronounces two blessings on on them. She says, may you have Hasid and may you have rest. That's everything. That's everything there is. That's grace and then rest is shalom Everything's going to be alright that's what shalom doesn't just mean peace it means everything is alright everything is going to be fine and she's pretty strong and she, she gives these commands go return you see how that starts verse uh, 8 go return to your mother's house you're you're young enough you can remarry go back to your mother's house you can find a husband you can have a life do you see what she's what Naomi is doing it's beautiful it's unbelievable she is she is her life is already a living death but you know you see what she's doing? She is deepening her death now. Why do, they, why do these two girls want to stay with Naomi? Kind of implied, it doesn't say, but why do they want to stay with her? We can, it's not—it's not a—it's not, not rocket surgery. They, they, there's something about her character that they're drawn to. She's a believer, and as we're going to see next week, Ruth is as thoroughly converted as a human being can be, already right here. And you'll see that with her famous confession that we'll read next next week. So let me. Let me uh, try to draw. What happens here? What's going on? So we got Naomi over here. Naomi and the two girls, Orpah and Ruth. I wonder if. I wonder if Oprah came from Orpah, and somebody just got the letters backwards. Okay. We've got this thing going on here. All right. What is Naomi trying to give these girls? Life, a hope, second chance, marriage, children, husband, all of it. Everything that everything you you live for as a woman in that culture. Yes. You could. Okay, you made me think of something, and now... Oh, she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. So that could be a little bit of a a confession there that in Moab, you don't just have Chemosh. Yahweh is the Lord everywhere. He's even the Lord in Moab. But that's a good point. she is? Well, no, she's not. She's fixing to tell them. She's fixing to say, and this is looking ahead to next week, if you stay with me, your, your life is going to be as wrecked as mine is. She, she try, she's going to try her hardest to uh, get them to get them to stay. But that's a good It's a good question too. So Naomi is trying to give these two girls life and hope. And what she's going to take in return, she is just deepening her own death. What little she has left, she's giving it up. Is that a familiar story? Have you ever seen that anywhere else? Is that a picture of the Jesus death? I'm giving up everything so that you can have life. That's a great picture of it. And then we got about two more minutes. So now we're we're I'm showing you sort of the character of this Hesed love. It involves me dying to myself, which is why, at least subconsciously, let me just give you this to go home and think about the rest of the day. We are allergic to Hesed. We don't want to do it, it's hard to do because it involves dying to myself. Now, as we're going to see, Ruth is going to weigh out Hesed. Naomi all the way to the very end of the book. It's so great. I almost have to go ahead and tell you because it's, it's so beautiful. She's going to have a baby and she's going to give her baby to, to Naomi. But we got to wait till we get to that. All right. Also because Hesed love involves substitution. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to take some of your suffering in your place in order to love you. Right? Okay. Here's your homework. Think of a person or two that it is a struggle for you to love. Don't say it out loud. Don't write it on a piece of paper. Don't put it on the refrigerator. This is just for you. Now you laugh, but you can think of two or three or four or five. Just think of them. And what we're going to do, Lord willing, as we go through this book, is we're going to learn a little bit about how you can love them and what it takes, right? So next time we're going to hear Naomi try her best to get these women to stay. And that's a good point. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that. But we're going to hear Ruth absolutely refuse to leave. And it's, it's amazing that Ruth's famous confession of faith, you know, we, we have, it's on our wall at our house. But it's applied to our marriage. But you have to realize that that originally came from a young woman to her mother-in-law. Go figure that. All right. Come back next week, please. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for this beginning to see a picture of the kind of love with which we're called to love one another all around us, everybody that you put in our path. So we begin today to plead for grace to do that better than we do. Uh, Go with us now as we serve you the rest of the Lord's day. In Christ's name, amen. All righty.